Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. The last two messages, I have started with a gift on this table. One was a package wrapped where I told you I'd found the perfect gift for my kids for Christmas. The second week it was, and the second message in the sermon series, it was a gift from my younger brother to my kids, and it was a bigger package wrapped. And this week, I want to tell you about the gift God wants to give us in Christ, especially at the time of Christmas. Now, this is a gift from God to us that is not about the things that we can possess, but it's about a gift to help us to become the person we want to be the person God wants us to grow into, the person we would desire to be if we could be um, ourselves with no character flaws. It's the gift found in the Christmas story. And if you can believe that God is willing to give you a gift, you can have faith that he will carry out his work in you. Here's the gift found in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. There's three gifts I want to talk about. One is peace, the second is a blessing, and the third is joy. Peace blessing and a joy. Let's look at those gifts found in Acts chapter 2. Now, this is a story you have probably heard before. This is the quote from Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, This is the story about the angels visiting the shepherds um, and the babe, uh, Jesus Christ, wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. So you've maybe heard this before, but maybe you've never looked at it as the gift, uh, gifts that God wants to give us so that we can become the people that we want to become, the people of God. Here is Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Three gifts in that Christmas story, one of the greatest stories of all time, uh, peace, a blessing, and joy. Let's start with peace. When the angel appeared to the shepherds, the angel immediately said, do not be afraid. Fear not. Now, my daughter tends to think that angels would be scary to behold, maybe too frightening to look at. And in the scripture, sometimes angels are described as something out of our imaginations. Lots of wings, lots of uh, eyes floating, uh, yelling, bringing the wrath of God. 
But angels are also described in Scripture as looking like people. When angels visited Abraham, they looked like people. In Hebrews, it tells us to be hospitable to one another because we might be entertaining angels unaware. Now, I don't know what the angel looked like to the shepherd, but for some reason, the shepherds were startled by the angel's appearance. I kind of think that if you're watching sheep in the middle of the night and all of a sudden, boom, somebody appears there and says, oh, oh, it's just me, guys, uh, that it would startle me too. But the angel says, do not be afraid. This is the first gift that God wants to give us through the Christmas story. It's the gift of peace. We can have peace when we turn to the Lord, when we turn to God. He brings peace, and he wants us to fear not. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I think we can have no fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. First, I think that we can have peace and not be afraid because God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. When we look through the scripture and we turn through the scriptures, we find these descriptions about God. Sometimes the descriptions are he is holy. He's separated from us, other than us, more righteous than us. And he is holy and righteous. He is too big for us. We, we find one description of God where it says he is an all-consuming fire. Uh, one description of God I mentioned last week was he told Moses, you can't look at me. No one can look at me and see my face because I'd be too overwhelming for you. But the main description found in all these pages of scripture is not that he's holy, not that he's other, not that he's righteous, though he is. Not that he's too overwhelming, although he is. The main description found in the scripture about God is that he is good, he is faithful, and he is able. We can have peace. We can have no fear. We can be not afraid because our God, who is all-powerful and overwhelming and all-consuming, is good. And he is faithful. He always keeps his promises, and he is able. One of Jesus' best friends named Peter in, uh, wrote a letter to his congregation in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this, in verse 3 and 4, he tells us that God, his divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who's called us by his own glory and goodness. God lets himself be known. He calls us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God gives us his promises so that through his promises, we may participate in the divine nature. We may escape this world and its evil, evil desires. We can even escape the evil desires of our soul. Isn't that what we need? Don't we need the gift that enables us to escape our own internal struggles? The greatest gift in the world is something that can help us be somebody different. The greatest conflicts in the world are always caused by our own evil, selfish desires or somebody else's, or when somebody else's evil desires interact with my own evil desires. I need to be rescued from myself. And God says, I'm going to give you promises. I'm going to keep my promises. And these promises that I keep, God keeps to us, are, are going to enable us to participate in his nature to participate with him, to become part of the kingdom. When Jesus preached, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is able for us to enter into. He was talking about experiencing the power and presence and the forgiveness of God right now. That is a beautiful gift that God gives us. And it's no wonder that the angel begins his presentation with, do not be afraid. 
I think there's another reason that we don't have to fear either. And uh, this is um, kind of what it's talking about more here in Luke chapter 2. God treats our fear when he says, do not be afraid in the scripture. Now, just a side note, there are some preachers and some writings you might find where it says, do not be afraid or have no fear is found over 365 times in the Bible. So you can have a, a no fear verse for every day of the year. Uh, but it, really, when you start looking at and evaluating some of the verses that include the phrase, do not be afraid, they don't jive with this passage. For example, in Judges, uh, I believe it's in Judges, there's a lady uh, there's a king on the run, and the lady at her tent, she says, come in here, hide in my tent, do not be afraid. And the king comes in, and then she kills him. I don't think that's the same kind of don't be afraid that we find here in chapter 2 of Luke. No, in this gospel, when God has the angel say, do not be afraid, this is God t teaching us that our fear is kind of like an injury, and he wants to help heal us. Let me, let me say that again. I know some of you are struggling with anxiety. Some of you struggle with fear. I don't think you have to feel guilty about that fear or anxiety. I don't think that when you feel, feel fear that you have to turn around and say you are less of a person or there's a character flaw within you when you're experiencing that fear. We don't do that with any type of, we don't do that with any other type of injury. When we have an injured soul, when we have an injured body, when we have an injured emotion, it's not a character flaw, but it is something that God wants to heal within us. And when we hear the words, do not be afraid, have no fear. When we hear the words, fear not from God, we can know that it is our loving Father looking at us, seeing our wound and wanting to heal us. And when we meditate on the gift of his promises that he has made for us and his promises that he always keeps, when we meditate and think about that, there is the very real possibility that he begins to heal our soul, lower our anxiety and fear levels where we actually experience peace. God says that we can trust him. He is good, he is faithful, and he is able. Before we move on to the blessing of the Christ to us, I want to just in one more section on this no fear and why we can trust him. I found this uh, blog from Cassie Watson. She's a writer and she writes about trying to look for that true country, trying to look for the country of God, the kingdom of God on earth, moving in God's presence and power more and more. And she asked the question, what does it mean we can trust God? And here's what I wanted to quote from her. Um, th this is really important because otherwise we might get the wrong impression about what we can trust God for. She writes, and I quote, I cannot trust God to answer every prayer exactly how I want them answered. I cannot trust him to orchestrate my life so there is no suffering, toil, or disappointment. I cannot trust him to give me everything I want. I cannot trust him to stick to the timeline I had planned for my life. I can trust my friend to always act according to his love for me, his steadfast love that shall not depart. I can trust him to hear every one of my prayers and answer them according to his wisdom. I can trust him to draw me closer through suffering and give me more joy there than I would have in ease. I can trust him to be with me through it all, never leaving me or forsaking me. What sweet relief it is to know that we can trust God to give us just what we need 
not what we think we need. End quote. I think Cassie writes that beautifully. Is it any wonder why the angel says to us, do not be afraid? It's because we can trust God. Number two, there is a blessing in this Christmas story that we cannot miss. Jesus really is the reason for the season. Look at the blessing of Christ. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all, all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We need a Savior, a Messiah, and our Master to come rescue us. We need a rescue. What is my problem and my main problem? What do I need to change most to make my life better? I need to change myself. I need to have a difference in my soul, in my attitude, in my emotions, in my thought life. I need to be changed from the inside out. I have to be rescued from myself. Jesus is our Savior. What a blessing it is for Him to come and be our Savior. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, a pastor, was visiting his mentor. And this pastor asked him, uh, he said, what can I do to change my church? What can I do to bring about more change in, in my church? He said, our congregation, I just want them to be more like Christ and we're not changing fast enough and we're not going and witnessing. We're not becoming the church I've always dreamed us to be. And his mentor was Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard said to him, this pastor, he said, you need to arrange your life in such a way that you experience deep contentment, joy, and confidence in God all day long. And this pastor said, no, Dr. Willard, I want to know what I can do to help my congregation change. And Dr. Willard told this pastor, he said, exactly. If you want your congregation to become the people of God they need to be, you need to arrange your life in such a way that you experience deep contentment with God, joy, and confidence in God all day long. He said, you can't ask people to become what you are not becoming yourself. See, we have to take this blessing of Christ to us as a savior by faith that he is really going to start changing us from the inside out. And we have to be wanting to change, to have him uh, reveal to us our sin, reveal to us our character flaws, so that we can be convicted by the Holy Spirit to repent of our sin and turn to Christ for rescue. He's the Savior. He did come to rescue us. When he went to earth, he was human, just like us, so he could experience every form of temptation like we have experienced, and yet not sin. So that when he went to the cross to rescue us, he could be like us on the cross. Because he's human, he knows what it's like to experience temptation, he knows what it's like to experience suffering, and he can suffer in our place. Now, because he's human, he could only die for one of us. But because he is God as human, he's big enough, because he's God, to die for everyone. While he was on the cross, he rescues us from our sin. He absorbs our sin into his body. Then he absorbs God's wrath for those sins. So when he is raised from the dead, God can look at us and say, there is no penalty for you. It was taken out on Jesus. We can become righteous, right with God's law, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. He is our Savior. And he's the only one capable of doing it. He's the anointed one, the Messiah. He was anointed king to be in our place as a servant. 
Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, and He's also our Lord. He's our Creator, our Master. There's this great theme that runs through the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it's this theme of the living water that comes, and everywhere the water goes, it brings life. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 10, God is describing creation. And it says in chapter 2 that when creation was made, there was no plants, there was no trees, it was just dry ground. So God caught, and there was no one to work the plants and trees, even if there was plants and trees. So God caused a stream to water a place called the, the Garden of Eden. And then plants and shrubs grew. And then he took the dirt and he made a man. And that man could now work in the garden. We get all the way to verse 10 and we find that this stream that starts in the center of the garden spreads out and it goes and waters the whole world. This theme is picked up all through scripture that there is water that comes from God that brings life. In Psalm chapter 46, I love this song. It sings about this water of life. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in, tr in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is bigger than our problems. His rescue is greater than our circumstances. Verse 4, here's the water theme. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We go all the way over to Ezekiel, the prophet, in chapter 47. This angel takes him to the temple, which was kind of designed after the Garden of Eden. In the very center of the garden was the tree, and out of that center of the garden flowed the river. In the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was made known, then the holy place, and then the courtyard. And when Ezekiel is taken to the temple by this angel, and he sees this vision. He says, water comes out of the center of the temple. And it's, first it starts off as a trickle, then it gets ankle deep, and then knee deep, and then it's over his head. And everywhere the water goes, it brings life, even to turn the Dead Sea back into a living water, and everything that touches the water turns to life. There's this theme of water. It starts in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 says the angel showed John this picture of the new heaven and new earth with God with his people and the people with God. And he says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. There's this great theme of the water of life coming from the very center of God and everything it touches turns to life. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the anointed one. Come to us. This is our Lord. On the cross, in the Gospel of John, and John, one of Jesus' best friends, is the only one to record this. But John makes us see that Jesus is the water of life. When Jesus went to the cross and he was hung on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God for our sin, he became sin in our place. The Romans, when they crucified criminals, sometimes they wanted the criminals to die more quickly. And one of the ways they did that was they would break the legs of the criminals. It was getting late in the afternoon and the soldiers had decided they would help the criminals on the cross and Jesus die more quickly. So they went to the cross, and to the criminal on Jesus' right and left, they broke their legs, and those criminals began to die more quickly, and the torture of the cross 
But when they came to Jesus, John chapter 19, verse 33, says, But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, which fulfills the prophecy that no bone of Jesus's would be broken. Verse 34, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus's side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. John is wanting us to see that Jesus is the water of life, this theme of water that comes from the very center of God that gives life to everything it touches. He wants us to see that through the sacrificial love on the cross, Jesus is gonna bless everything that is precious and holy about you. Jesus is our Lord. He is our living water. This is the blessing, the gift we need, the gift of blessing that we need to have an internal change from within us that God, only God can do. These are the gifts that allow us to experience deep contentment with God, deep joy with God, and total confidence in God. The gift of peace and the blessing of Christ to us. And grace upon grace, wouldn't you know it, God gives us another gift. In Luke chapter 2, it says that the shepherds, when they had seen him, <laughs> when they had seen the baby laying in the manger, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who were heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. God gives us the gift of joy to go along with our peace and with our blessing. There's two ways to experience joy from this passage. The first is, there is a great joy in sharing what God has told us, what God has done in us, and what God is doing. There is this incredible joy and satisfaction only found when we give our testimony. I have a friend of mine who was telling me that her Christian, Christian walk, her walk with Christ, there is something missing from it. This is a person that has been to Sunday school class, has joined a small group, reads their Bible, has learned to pray, uh, teaches a Sunday school class, comes to church every week, and they said, something is missing from my Christianity. You know what was missing from her Christianity? Her obedience to share the gospel. Her obedience to share her testimony. We talked about this and she began to share her testimony with somebody else. She shared what God had done for her, what God was doing within her, and what God had always done through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, she had joy in her walk with Christ. She had complete satisfaction in her Christian walk. God says sharing our testimony is so powerful. This is what is going to make Satan defeated. We defeat Satan, Revelation 12, 11 says, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and we're willing to die for Jesus. There is so much joy to be found, and it's a gift to us. There's so much joy to be found when we go and share what God has done to us and for us and within us, and when we share that with others. I love the gift Arlene Soto is getting ready to give us through her testimony. Last Sunday, Arlene came to be baptized to completely give her life to our Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And she did so in front of our staff and our elders and in front of our family. And we recorded her testimony. And I got to tell you, it not only brings joy to her heart as she tells it, but it should warm your heart as too as you listen to it. And if it doesn't warm your heart, you need to maybe check your pulse, but also check your relationship with the Lord. It is such a fantastic testimony, and it brings me great joy to give you uh, Arlene Soto's testimony. Pay attention and listen 
and watch about the peace and the blessing Christ has given to her. I work for the coroner and uh, it was a it was a time when the actual investigator had to have surgery, so it was just me. And you're on call 24-7, 365. So I was really exhausted after the first couple of weeks, and I felt like I was drowning. And Jeff always stops by my office and says, hey, Arlene, good morning. And he looked at me, and he goes, are you okay? And I felt like I couldn't breathe. And he came in, closed the door, said, give me your hands, let's pray. And we did, and I felt okay, just okay. And then he invited me to come here. He said, come to church with me on Sunday. And I said, oh, I'll think about it. So on that Sunday, I took my little doggy to a play date with a neighbor of mine. And she says, well, they're gonna be playing for a while, so why don't you just you know, go run some errands or whatever. And I looked at my watch and it was almost 11 o'clock. And I remembered Jeff and I texted him and I said, hey, I'm coming to church. He says, I'll meet you at the door. How do you like your coffee? <laughs> and he did, he met me at the door and I came in here and all the chairs were out here and man, if we didn't sit up front. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I met Allison. And she was so welcoming. It, it, it took my heart, she took my heart. And the words on the song that came up, it was talking about the foundation. And I didn't know the words, I didn't know that song, but I saw the words and I was singing louder and louder and louder and I couldn't stop crying. And then Allison handed me a tissue and then she pulled me to her and hugged me and said, take this love, take this love. And I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave here. I felt so safe, so calm. And then Jeff said, keep coming, keep coming. And I have been. And I was going to the Catholic Church, tradition of my family. Every Sunday, one hour, pray, get the communion, go home. To this day, no one from that church has called me to find out why I haven't gone back. I am running late to come here, and I got boom, boom, text me, where are you, where are you? <laughs> it's, it's the welcoming here, and when we couldn't come and do stuff online, I was on it, I, I didn't want to miss anything. And I thank you for when I saw you online, help me talk to my son. I appreciate you so much. And I've learned so much about Jesus and God and the stories, because he would say, well, with the uh, uh, Hebrew 121, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so we try to steal away a half an hour every morning at work to do some studying. And we pray for everybody. And it makes me feel so good. And I try to pass it forward. You know, when I see someone who's having a hard time, I say, can I pray for you today? Can I talk to you? Do you want to do something you'd like to say to me? We can pray. That's where I've been. And it's been two years and I've decided it's time. It's time. And I know we've, we've talked about it before and I've taken your confession of faith before, um, but why don't we do it right here in front of all these people that have come out here to, to be 
be a part of, of this. Um, so I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Father in heaven, Lord, I just give you thanks for um, for this decision that Arlene's made. Lord, I thank you that uh, I thank you that you you love us so much that you have bridged that gap that we created through our sin by sending your Son Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And Lord, I thank you that uh, that you're working in Arlene's life. I know that you're going to do some amazing things through her because she has given herself over to you. And I look so forward to what's going to happen here in the future. Lord, we love you. We just thank you for all you do for us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Arlene, because of your decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my honor to now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of your sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Didn't Arlene's testimony give you joy? I'm telling you, when you begin to share what Jesus has done for you, you will experience the gift of joy, satisfaction in your walk with Christ. This is the power of testimony, the power of telling people what God has done for us. This is what the shepherds experienced when they saw the Christ child. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There is joy in sharing your testimony that you can't have in any other part of your Christian faith. And there's also joy in glorifying and praising God. And sometimes I don't know which comes first. Sometimes it's glorifying and praising God, which leads to God doing something within us that changes us from the inside out. We can't accept, we can't have anything but joy. And other times, it's our testimony that we give that leads us to glorifying and praising God for what he is doing through our testimony. Remember, we have victory over Satan. We have victory over this world by the blood of the Lamb, the good news about Jesus, the word of our testimony, what God has done for us, and we're willing to die for Jesus. There is so much joy in giving your testimony, but there's also great joy in glorifying and praising God. Glorifying and praising God are basically two ways to explain that we are glorifying God for what he is doing. Uh, what, uh, excuse me, we are glorifying God because of who he is. He is good, he's faithful, and he is able. He gives peace. And what he does for us, he always keeps his promises. He is for our soul to be healed. He takes away our fear and he gives us Jesus. We glorify and praise him. Sometimes when we react with gratitude that way, joy seems to find a way into our hearts, into our souls like no other. These are the gifts that God gives us in Christ through the Christmas story, the gift of peace, the gift of a blessing, and the gift of joy. One of the ways that we can respond to those gifts 
is by participating in communion. Would you get out your bread and your cup? I think there is great joy, a moment of spiritual interaction with God that happens during communion that doesn't happen in other areas of our life or in other uh, participations in ministry. Just like you can find joy in giving your testimony that you can't find in other aspects of Christianity, just like you can find joy in glorifying and praising God you can't find in other acts of Christianity, you can find joy in participating in the bread and cup of Christ. The scripture says that when we participate in the bread, we're participating in his body. When we participate in the cup, we're participating in his blood. It doesn't make us more saved. It doesn't make us more forgiven. We don't become more a child of God, but there is a difference between walking hand in hand with God and him picking us up, wrapping us in his arms and telling us he loves us. And I can't quite describe it, but it happens during communion. Would you take out your bread? Would you remember that Jesus Christ came for you as a human in the flesh and died for you on the cross, sacrificing his body to save you? Participate in the bread. Now take out your cup and participate in the cup of Christ. Would you remember that it is his blood that was shed on the cross that covers over your sins and makes you completely whole, makes you completely forgiven? Would you participate in the cup? God, we praise you because you gave your body in our place, sacrificial love on the cross to guard and protect everything precious and holy about us. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. Here's your call to action. I love this call to action. And if you're watching at home or you're listening on a podcast, you're going to have this opportunity in the next couple of minutes to pause the video or pause the podcast and just pray. I want to give you this call to action so that you can experience the joy of Christ in your life, in your life, complete satisfaction in your walk with Christ. I want you to tell somebody your testimony about what God has done for you. Here's how we're going to do it. At Christmas time, people are more likely to be able and willing to listen to what Jesus means, what Jesus is doing in your life, and they're more likely and more able to uh, make a commitment to Christ. So this is the perfect opportunity to give your testimony to someone else. Now, here's how this is gonna work. We're gonna spend time praying. You need to spend time praying, and here's your prayer. I want you to get really still, really quiet, remove all distractions, and I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, which one of my family members, which one of my friends do I need to share my testimony with over the Christmas holiday? That's it. And then just wait. We should really expect God to give us a name in our thoughts. We should expect God to give us and speak to us someone that we should share the testimony of Jesus Christ with, the testimony of what he has done and what he has done for us. We should expect him to give us a name. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to pause the video or pause the podcast and you're going to sit quietly and you're going to pray and you're going to ask God to reveal a name to you on who you should share the gospel with over Christmas holiday. Go on. Now's the time. 
pause the video, pause the podcast, and just sit quietly and pray. God, who do I need to share? Which one of my friends or family do I need to share my testimony with over Christmas? Have you paused it yet? Go on, take a pause, take a break, pray that prayer, and just wait for God to answer. After he does, after he answers, come back to this video, give some closing remarks. Go and pause it right now. Make that prayer. I do hope that God gave you an answer, someone to share it with. Would you now write in the comment section, send me a text or send me an email, send our church a comment so we know who you're gonna go share the gospel with and we'll pray for that conversation. We'll pray for the time that you get to share your testimony, what God has done through Jesus in you with someone that you know and hold dear. Now, you, if you think your friend or family member might be embarrassed, you don't have to give us their full name. You can write out your initials or you can give us a fake name. Either way, we're going to pray for the conversation you're going to have over Christmas, over the holidays with your loved one so that they might have their eyes open, so that they might be convicted of sin and might turn to Christ for healing, forgiveness, and to be saved. If you'll let us know what who you're going to have a conversation with, we'll be sure to pray for that conversation. And then after Christmas break, in the new year, send us a little note and let us know what happened. Let us know about that seed of faith that you planted or that seed of faith that you watered or how God gave you victory over Satan and over this world and even over a hard heart because you trusted the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, and you were willing to die for Jesus. Let us know who we need to pray for in your conversation and let us know how that conversation went. Until then, Merry Christmas. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.